chapter 2. We started, as you know, last Sunday, a series that we are calling very simply Key Issues. You might say Key Truths. We all know that there is an election coming in the not-too-distant future. And while this series is not about the election or about politics, it definitely has an eye in that direction. What we're doing in this series is looking at these key foundational truths that God lays down right from the beginning of his revelation to us, truths that need to be planted firmly and deeply in our hearts and in our minds, forming a way of thinking and a way of living. These are fundamental, foundational truths upon which our thinking, our speaking, our acting must be based, at least if we claim to be Christians. At least if we claim that we are those who actually believe there's a God who has revealed himself in this book and then revealed himself more fully and personally in the person of Jesus, the God-man, God-become-man, who gave his life that we might have life. New life so that we can actually live in a way that is marked by righteousness. Living in a way that is in accord with the truth. So these truths, these truths, we, we stand on them and, and they anchor us and therefore they shape everything we think, everything we do. And as I've said already, it, it should come as no surprise that we find these truths kind of right off the bat in these early chapters of Genesis. Last week we looked at the very first key issue, that first foundational truth found in Genesis chapter 1, that all humans, every last human, created in the image of God, and therefore all humans have equal value, equal dignity. It is a foundational truth about who we are, about our identity, and who other people are, and it needs to inform and shape how we think about ourselves, how we think about others. It needs to shape our thinking and our speaking and our relating to one another. But now, this morning, we come to a second key issue, a second foundational truth, and that is that life is sacred. The sanctity of human life. Not only are all humans made in God's image and therefore equal, but all human life is sacred and to be protected and honored. Now, before I read from Genesis chapter 2, let's remember the context here. In Genesis chapter 1, we read the account of God creating the universe and everything in it, including man. Filling up the original formless void. Remember, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was without form and void. And God, over the space of the next six days, filled that void. And he gave form to that void. And he 
populated it with all sorts of amazing creatures and ultimately placed man as the head of creation, representing him. And you see that all summarized in the very first verse of Genesis chapter 2. Thus, the heavens and the earth were finished and all the host of them. But then, after just very briefly talking about the seventh day, the day on which God rested from his created work, he says, let me show you that again. Let me go over that again, now with special attention to the creation of man and women, man and woman, but this time something new gets said. So now, you follow along as I read Genesis chapter 2. I'm going to read verses 1 through 7. This is God's word. Thus, the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it, God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. These are the generations of the heavens and the earth when they were created, in the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. When no bush of the field was yet in the land and no small plant of the field had yet sprung up, for the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the land and there was no man to work the ground and a mist was going up from the land and was watering the whole face of the ground, then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and the man became a living creature. Let's pray. God, would you help us now hear this rightly, receive it by faith, believe it, and God, we pray that it would shape us, this little piece of your word, it would shape us rightly in accordance with the weight of the truth that you communicate to us here. And so, God, help us, I pray. Help me, help me to preach rightly. Help us to hear rightly, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, let me ask you a question this morning. What would you do if you received a special gift from God? If God walked into your house this afternoon and he said to you, I've got a gift, something special that I got with you in mind. I think for me, maybe it might be something like a beautiful German crafted compass an object of precision and beauty and just the right heft to it that I could set on my desk and look at and hold and use and appreciate the meaningfulness of that gift. What would you do if you received something precious like that? I mean, you think whatever it might be for you from God. I mean, you'd guard it, right? You would 
protect it. You'd always know where it was. It amazes me sometimes how conscious Beverly is of where her engagement ring is all the time. If it's not on her finger, she knows exactly where it is. She cleans it. She cares for it. She's always aware of exactly where that ring is. And it's not because it's so valuable from a monetary perspective. It's because of what it means and who she got it from. It is full of meaning for her, and she treasures it, and she always knows where it is. What if you received a gift from God? I mean, wouldn't you guard it and protect it and treasure it, and yes, for itself, but especially because of who gave it to you? Well, you can see where I'm going with this. Each one of us has received from God a precious gift. Life. This thing that happens in Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, is not entirely unique to Adam. Now, obviously, there's something special and different going on here. But what happens here is representative of what happens every time a human being comes into existence. A new life is given. And that gift is to be treasured and protected and guarded and defended. If for no other reason, because it's from God, And in fact, I want to argue this morning, that's the main reason. It's been given to you from God. That is the key issue, the key truth here in Genesis chapter 2. The sacredness of human life as a gift from God. And that truth needs to be driven deeply into us as Christians and as a church. I want you to look very closely with me at Genesis chapter 2. Verse 7. Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground, and he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. You know, back in chapter 1, the focus, when describing the relationship between God and man, the focus was on the nouns. Image. Likeness. Here, the focus is on the verbs. God formed. God breathed. That word formed, it communicates great carefulness, attentiveness, purposefulness, like, like a craftsman forming an object with great care. But that word also communicates something else. It communicates uh, authorship, authority. God is doing this. He's in charge. That word, God formed, it communicates sovereignty over what is being formed, which we forget sometimes. Uh, To our own hurt, God formed us. And then look at that second verb. God breathed. That word, breathed, communicates something so warm and, and so personal, face to face, I mean, with the, with the intimacy of a kiss, showing that this was an act not just of making, 
but of giving. Do you see what Genesis 2-7 is saying? And it's the giving of something infinitely precious. Life. The man, I love the way Genesis 2 kind of uses different imageries, formed out of the dust of the ground, but until God breathes into him the breath of life, he's just, he's just kind of stuff. But now God breathes something into him gives him something, life. This creature made in God's image now has been given life. He has the life of God in him. Now, this is not the only place that this gets presented. I want you to flip over for a moment with me to, to the book of Psalms. Um, find the book of Psalms in 139. Psalm 139 is a wonderful psalm. Um, but it's verses 13 through 16 that I really want us to see, but I want you to feel the weight. I want you to feel the, the, the momentum, the beauty of just the accumulated truth of this psalm. So let me start at verse 1, but it's verses 13 through 16 we're going to focus on. Here's David. Oh Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down. You know when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down. You're acquainted with all of my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. You hem me in behind and before you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. Where shall I go from your spirit? Where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me and the light about me be night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is as bright as the day, for darkness is as light with you. For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there were none of them. Do you hear this? You made me. I know Psalm 139 uses different images, different ways of speaking, knitting and weaving, but the point is exactly the same as in Genesis chapter 2. My life is from you, God, it's a gift. So I need to recognize that and therefore protect and honor and treasure and hold sacred life, mine and that of others. I want to share with you a story this morning about this psalm and these verses. It's a, it's a bit tender. Uh, early in my years of ministry, in fact, many years ago, in another place, I experienced something I will never forget. Um, there was a couple, a middle-aged couple attending the church I was serving. She, the wife, was struggling. I mean, it was evident 
She was uncomfortable. She was always on edge, couldn't seem to settle in. The husband came to me and talked with me. He was trying his best to help her. I tried to help him help her. One evening, after several months of interacting with them, I got a phone call from the husband telling me his wife had been admitted to the hospital and was under close psychiatric care. She was in profound distress, profound depression. Would I please go see her? And I said, of course. So I drove up to Milwaukee, and I was let into this secured ward, and I just sat with this woman. I didn't know what to do. I finally did the only thing that I knew to do. I opened my Bible, and I asked her if I could read a psalm, hoping to comfort her. Why I picked Psalm 139, I do not know. I should say I did not know. I found out pretty quick. I got to these verses. I read verse 13. For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. And this dear woman just began not just to weep, but to wail. And I realized right then, something had happened in her life, something terrible. And after a time of just sitting there holding both of her hands and letting her regain some measure of composure, I just asked her, was there an abortion? And through tears and through heaving sobs, she said yes. All those years carrying that. The weight of this thing that she had done that she knew was wrong. Friends, listen. It is for times like that that I am so profoundly grateful for the gospel of Jesus Christ. The good news of the forgiveness of sin based solely on what Jesus did on our behalf. In his death and in his resurrection, yes, abortion is the taking of a God-given life, and sometimes we as Christians can speak or act in a way that leaves the impression that those who have had or who have facilitated or who have forced abortions on others are not welcome and they're beyond the reach of God's grace and the forgiveness offered through Jesus Christ and nothing is further from the truth. Please listen to me very carefully. If that's your past, even if you've never told a soul God knows, and God knows how to forgive and heal. More than anything else, the thing that binds us together and gives us purpose here at Crossway is the gospel. The gospel is the amazing, almost unbelievable, message that your sins can be completely forgiven. You can be washed clean. 
And your broken relationship with God can be restored all because of what Jesus has done. There is no sin, not even abortion, that the saving work of Jesus Christ cannot remove. So if you are out there and you are still burdened with guilt over something you did, run to Christ. He will receive you and he will forgive you and so will we. Unborn life, life inside the womb is sacred. We hear this all the time. Well, you can't tell a woman what she can do or cannot do with her body. And every time I hear that, I just want to scream. It's not your body. I cannot believe people are still saying those things, this campaign of deceit. It's not your body. In fact, your body is designed by God to protect and nurture that little body. For nine months... Until that body is ready to breathe on its own. Unborn life is sacred and it is to be protected. And weak life is to be protected. Children, those dealing with physical or mental challenges, the vulnerable in society, the elderly. This past Thursday, I had the privilege of presiding over the memorial service of Mary Nye, Pastor Nye's mom. She was 102 years old when she died a week and a half ago. And I thought as I sat there and listened to Mary's grandsons and Jan and Bill as they honored Mary, I thought of that verse in Isaiah chapter 46. Listen to me, O house of Jacob, all the remnant of the house of Israel who have been carried by me, listen to this, from before your birth, carried from the womb, I have made... I will bear, I will carry. Even to your old age, I am he, and to your gray hairs, I will carry you. Human life is sacred, and it's sacred all the way through to the end. And so, as I've watched Bill and Jan care for their mom so faithfully, reflecting God's care for her life. Which, by the way, from one perspective, she's outlived her usefulness. She's no longer contributing much to the good of society. She's weak, she's frail, she's elderly. And I watched them care for her and love her and regard her and treasure her life because her life was from God. Even weak life is precious and sacred. It's a gift. What does Jesus say? A bruised reed he will not break. A smoldering wick he will not extinguish. So unborn life is sacred, weak life is sacred, and guess what? Your life is sacred. 
your life and the life of the people around you. It's a gift from God. It's precious to God. We said this on Friday night. The lives of black people are precious to God. The lives of white people are precious to God. Remember the song? Maybe you learned it in Sunday school years ago. Red and yellow, black and white. They are precious in his sight. Why? Because those lives, every one of them, are a gift from God. That's what Genesis 2, 7 tells us. And therefore, they are to be protected, they are to be defended, they are to be honored. Do you remember last week at one point, um, I referenced to Genesis chapter 9, when God said to Noah, listen, this is how it's going to be for your lifeblood, not just Noah's, but for mankind's lifeblood, I will require a reckoning. Whoever sheds the blood of man by man, shall his blood be shed, institutes government. And it's not just murder that God speaks of. Do you remember the other passage I referenced last week? James chapter 3, verse 9, about even cursing other human beings, how wrong that is given who they are. It's a really important point. The sanctity of human life means human life is to be protected from all kinds of harm. The sanctity of human life becomes the standard for justice. So any harm done, any evil done to human being is appropriately punished. I want to take just a moment and show you one more little passage to see how this gets worked out. Turn with me just for a moment to the very next book of the Bible, Exodus, chapter 21. You might not know this is in your Bible. Exodus chapter 21. And look at verses 22 through 24. Just listen to this. This is in a section, this is right, by the way, one chapter after the Ten Commandments. So this is in a section of God giving the law through Moses, and here's what he says. When men strive together and hit a pregnant woman, so, so two guys are fighting, the, the wife's here trying to break it up, and they strike her somehow so that her children come out, but there's no harm. The one who hit her shall surely be fined, as the woman's husband shall impose on him, and he shall pay as the judges determine. But if there is harm, then you shall pay life for life. Eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot. Now that verb there in verse 22, that her children come out, that is the very same word that is used over and over in Scripture to describe birth. For example, Genesis chapter 25. Now the first came forth. Exactly the same word. And they named him Esau. And afterward his brother came forth. And they named him Jacob. It's the very same word. In other words, what is being described here in Exodus chapter 21 is an incident that causes the premature birth of a child. And notice, if there is no harm... No evident physical harm to the mother or the child. The assailant still has to pay a fine. 
because there is some effect on that child. The prenatal development of that child has been interrupted. So there is a fine to compensate for the care required for a premature birth. But if there is any harm, that harm will be repaid life for life, eye for eye, hand for hand, whatever the harm is. By instituting that law, and by the way, I, I, it occurs to me at this point that we have looked at passages from four different types of scripture this morning. History, law, poetry, Psalm 139, prophetic material, Isaiah chapter 46, all of them speak about this truth. God's making a very clear statement by instituting this law. There is no ambiguity whatsoever, whether it's an unborn child or a mother or a great-great-grandmother, the standard of justice is the sanctity of that human life because that life has been given by God. And so, as Christians, as a church, we stand against abortion. We stand against euthanasia. We stand against injustice, and we stand for life. We do so not mainly on some ground of human decency or secular moralism or relativistic ethics. We do so based on a simple but profound truth that God is the giver of life. It's a gift, a precious gift, and it is to be protected and treasured, recognized as something given to us by God. To his glory, amen. Let's pray. Father, we feel the, feel the weight of this, and we should. Um, you've put it here so early in your word to get it established right away that you are the giver of life, and that life is precious, and it is to be guarded. And so, God, I pray, help us. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for covering our sin. Every one of us has sinned in some way against this standard. God, we thank you for the gift of forgiveness in Christ. We rejoice in that. We want to live for you. Help us in Jesus' name. Amen.